Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, another exciting week in athletics. Major League Baseball has reached the championship series. Tons of excitement coming from some of those games thus far. College football gets a better idea of what some of the better teams are looking like as they'll start having to play each other now, finally. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, and LeBron James is getting yelled at by former NBA superstar players for eating on the bench. We haven't had a chance to talk MLB postseason. I'm excited to get some of your thoughts on what's been happening thus far, and I think the biggest storyline that we missed is one of the teams that have missed opportunities to play in the American Championship Series and the National League Championship Series. A lot of uproar about some of the better teams in baseball, those with more than 90 wins that got knocked out in the first round of the postseason in the divisional series is some problems even with the wild card matchups and better teams not making it along. What do we do? Should we recede? How is this baseball? The better team should be at the end. What's going on with the sport? Tons of people standing on their pulpits and their hills to scream and holler about why the Dodgers and the Braves aren't in the postseason anymore. I turn it over to you as our baseball czar. We've discussed the postseason, its changes, and know as baseball fans that it's really what team gets hot at the right time, and it doesn't necessarily always matter what your regular season record is. Win your division, handle your business. Don't worry about a couple days off in between. Figure it out. What were your thoughts on some of the discourse surrounding those opening games and fans, media, all sorts of folks? not being too pleased that some of the best teams in the game just lost. Well, first of all, it's great to be back, be back with you, Big John, and all our fans and friends. I think it's a big hullabaloo because of the 100-win teams bowing out so quickly. You know, obviously, when you see um, you know, Tampa, that got off to such a great start, wound up finishing second behind Baltimore, which won 100 games and had this massive – breakout season they were both gone uh, in two games obviously uh, then later on you saw the Dodgers get pounded by Arizona um, you know Toronto was in the mix all year long but uh, you know they got swept in their best of uh, best of three series the thing that really struck me is 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 twofold actually, actually three things number one I think next year they will recede I think after you have the first round of, you know, the best division winners with the buys and three against the worst wild card and four against five, I think they will recede. Uh, 
based upon the best records. But I think in terms of early exits, there were really two things that I think helped explain it. Number one, despite the records, the gaudy records of those teams that left early, most of them, their pitching was in dire straits. Uh, they didn't have strong starters. They may have pitched well down the stretch at times, but for example, the Orioles. I mean, the Orioles were throwing, you know, a young starter who pitched very well in the regular season, and Grayson Rodriguez, their first round draft pick, who was awful the first half of the season, went down to the minors, pitched well when he came back. They both got bombed. They both got bombed. The biggest disappointment was probably Kevin Gossman for Toronto, who had a very good year. He got bombed. And then after that, for Toronto, you know, they didn't go, um, you know, with Chris Bassett, which kind of surprised me. Uh, they also didn't hit in the playoffs, which they never do. And you know, in the National League, uh, the Dodgers pitching was in complete disarray with the exception of Clayton Kershaw. And Kershaw got bombed. Worst outing of his career. And you look you know, in the East, the Braves, although they were the best team in baseball and tied the record for the most home runs in a season and had maybe the best everyday lineup since uh, the Indians that we saw in the mid-90s, what did they have at the end of the day? They had Spencer Strider, a terrific young right-hander who pitched pretty well in his two starts. They had a banged-up lefty number two starter who was not himself and did not pitch well. Charlie Morton was nowhere to be found. The starting pitching you know, was just Max Fried was not himself and against that incredibly tough Philly lineup. It's still all about starting pitching. That's it, and that's all. It's plain and simple. What did the Astros have? They've got Verlander. They've got Javier. And they've got you know the lefty who struggled. Framberville doesn't struggle, but they still got the one, two, three. What do the Phillies have? The Phillies have the rock solid one, two in Wheeler and Nola, which nobody else had. No, nobody has a top two like Wheeler and Nola. And as I said to our fearless leader, Chris Maddow Russo yesterday, no, it's not the days of Koufax and Drysdale. Uh, you know, it's not the guys that are going to go out there and throw complete games and, you know, throw 130 pitches and come back on two days. But these are guys who go out there in this day and age. And they post every start. They threw 200 innings every year. And they go out there in these series, and they're the big one-two combo. And if you've got them lined up because of the days off that they allow these wildcard teams, and because they went up to all the games on TV, you know, other than the first four series where they were going to run them, Games one, two, three, because they're all in the home team's park, team with the better record. So there's no travel. But what happened? We had four sweeps. So as a result of four sweeps, we had a lot of days off, which you normally don't have. So I think a lot of it had to do with the teams that really had their pitching not just lined up, but a solid, forget big three, 
a solid big two who were pitching well and pitched well versus a lot of these other teams who started pitching, even though they had really good records, like Baltimore, like Atlanta, was really in a state of disarray Regardless of the fact that they won their division by so many games, the pitchers simply were not healthy or not pitching that well or just weren't that strong to begin with. And playoff baseball is a totally different brand of baseball. And the final aspect of it, and I credit Steve Phillips, not often, but I credit him for this, which I thought was a great point he made about 10 days ago, is that the teams that all were the top seeds with the exception of Houston, really had a hand ride home and didn't play much important baseball for the last month. And even though you're playing, when you're not playing for your life the way all the teams in the AL West were playing, they were all playing to make the postseason along with Toronto. They were all fighting for a playoff spot not just to win a division, to get in. And Seattle wound up on the outside looking in. But Arizona was fighting tooth and nail the last two months of the season after a terrible stretch where it looked like they were completely out of it. And they fought back. And then, you know, the last month of the season was a knockdown dragout battle just to get in. Yes, the Phillies were a comfortable wild card. But we saw from last year, as we just talked about a second ago, the Phillies have got the big two and they got hammers. They can hit the ball out of the yard. They play in a park that's perfect for them. And look, let's call a spade a spade. That crowd is nuts. They are wild. And it's in a good way. This isn't, you know, the Philly fans of old. These are the Philly fans who were like, not booing a struggling Trey Turner, who they're paying a fortune to. They are trying to encourage Trey Turner when he was struggling, where he's taking out billboards to thank them. That's not the Philly fans of old. These are like the Philly fans turning over a new leaf. But the point is, they've got the big two. But so many of these teams, you know, like Baltimore, like Tampa, um, like the Braves, like the Dodgers, they played no important games for the last month of the season. So they really weren't, one, playing that well. Two, they weren't, I don't want to say battle-tested, but fine-tuned and battling every, literally every day to stay alive. I mean, Houston went into the last series of the year playing not to win the division, but to make the playoffs. And they go into Arizona and they take out Arizona, but Arizona, fortunately for them, gets in. I think that had a lot to do with it. Houston was the one division winner that played well, and they were the team that was battle-tested down the, top, down the stretch and playing every day to make the playoffs. Every game they were battling for their playoff lives. They were playing all these teams, playoff baseball for the last month of the season. While the top seeds had it on cruise control. And unfortunately for those top seeds, their pitching could not get healthy. Max Fried could not get healthy. Charlie Morton could not get healthy for the Braves. The Dodgers, they just kept dropping like flies. And look, they lost Julio Rios to you know, the off-field issues, which was 
who knows where, who's going to pitch for? It's going to be a free agent. It's going to cost them a fortune. Uh, so they lose him. That's a, that's a huge deal for them. And their young guys just did not come through. Uh, you know, Bobby Miller gets bombed. Uh, obviously, the Hall of Famer, Clayton Kershaw, simply didn't have it that night. Oil young guys didn't have it. Jays, their starters didn't have it. And as usual, it always seems to be the case with the Jays, they didn't hit. And Tampa, the problem with Tampa is who is really the Tampa ace? Once you get past Tyler Glass now, who was mediocre in game one, so we, we always talk about the, the great job Stu Sternberg does and the organization, and it is absolutely positively true. It's disturbing. It's unacceptable that they have 19,000 people in the building for a playoff game. Um, as we've said before, the four-letter word for Stu Sternberg is move. There's absolutely no reason you should continue to stay there. It's unacceptable for a playoff team, a regular competitor in the playoffs, year in, year out, to not fill. And remember, that building holds twice that. But they they coordinate off. That's the old Suncoast Dome that they built to get the White Sox out of Chicago or the Giants out of San Francisco when they need new stadiums. It's a dump. They coordinate off and hold 25,000 for baseball and they can't fill it. It's a joke. 19,000 for the first playoff game. That's a total complete embarrassment. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace to the players. It's a disgrace to the sport. I don't care where you build it. They're not going. But who are the, when you think of Tampa's success, other than Blake Snell, who they took out of a World Series game when he was pitching like Koufax because of analytics, who is the ace who comes to mind? Who, who comes to mind as that super stud starter? Once class now, you got by him, you know, they, they, have, they, they start piecing it together. With the same old, and they had a lot. They, they lost people, you know. Again, McClanahan out for the season. They have guys having Tommy John, which always seems to happen to their starters. But you think of all the terrific Tampa success. When you think of other teams, yeah, they've had this starter. Yeah, they've had that starter. Yeah, this guy's been they've been there for years. He's a staple. Who is the guy for Tampa? Blake Snell's long gone. He was the one guy. Tyler Glass now is it. I love him, but he's never healthy, and that's it. So I think that has a lot to do with it's still about the pitching in the postseason. Who's got it? And none of these teams had it. That in a combination with the fact that they did not play a lot of battle-tested baseball down the stretch, I think that was really the two-pronged effect that hurt the teams that had the best records. I think they will restructure uh, the postseason next year, so I think you will see them recede. I don't know what they can do about the two out of three, because you want them every day, since there's no travel. You don't want to give those teams an off day. You don't want to give the visiting team the advantage of having an off day to travel and maybe get their pitching in order, because you know they're the wild cards. Uh, but I do think you'll see the reseeding, and they also want to have games every day. Because remember, these things started Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we thought we were going to have a ton of baseball. Excuse me, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we thought we we're gonna have a ton of bad. And then, boom, Thursday we got no baseball because all four series were over. So, 
they want to give you as much baseball every day as possible. But then when you have these quirky things happening, who thought we were going to have four swings? You never expect that, but we did. And as a result, it allowed for days off, uh, more stabilizing your rotation and planning your rotation. And you know, I think that hurt or you know, helped the, the wildcard teams. But I really think the lack of starting pitching being healthy and in order for the top teams really was the crushing blow. Do you think anything needs to change as far as the setup I, of the postseason of I, baseball? I, I, I think that they will recede next year. I think next year, instead of um, the bracket staying the same, once you get through the first set of, of the wild card teams, you will have the team that comes through that with the worst record play the one seed. So, you know, the, the upsets, uh, you know, whatever they may be, will restructure the seeding. And I, I, I would, I would bet that they would do that. Who am I to discuss the postseason when my team <clears throat> did not make the postseason? But as a fan, I enjoy the format at least as far as the games go. I like three game wild card. I thought one isn't really how baseball works. You need a couple more games to decide how things are going to go. I enjoy the five game. Divisional series, always have. And I like how seven for the AL and NLCS has changed back to the 2-3-2. Two, two, two. Love it. I have no problem with the number of games. I like the two out of three as well. I like the fact that they're all in the team's park with the better record. The problem is, is when you have what we had for, I mean, like I said, the four sweeps really kind of played havoc and mayhem with allowing the wildcard teams, the upset teams to get their pitching straightened away for the next round against the higher seeds. It's true. So, you know, I, I think that really hurt. Um, you know, for the, the point being, you know, should Atlanta with the best record in the league and the best record in baseball be playing the Phillies, that's where you see the issue. Now, you want to see a reseed, and after Arizona upsets uh, Milwaukee, um, you want to see the Braves with the best record play Arizona, the team with the worst record. That's what you want to see. And you, see, you want to see the Phillies play the Dodgers. That could have made for, you know, much better competitive uh and fairness, I think, because I don't think it was fair for the Braves to have to play the Phillies. They should, be, they should be playing the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks had the worst record of all the playoff teams. So you need to recede instead of keeping the brackets where they are. Instead, it's like the NCAA tournament where, you know, it, somebody creates a mess in a bracket by a few upsets and you can have a team playing, you know, a nine, a 12, a seven. The, the bracket's all messed up. So that's what you have basically in a much smaller version in uh, certainly in the National League when it came to the Braves because they wind up 
you know, instead of playing the Diamondbacks, after they upset Milwaukee, they play the Phillies because the Phillies are a wildcard. And it is, you know, doesn't make sense. And originally I wasn't for it, but I much rather would have seen Braves, Diamondbacks, Phillies, Dodgers. Uh, but you know, what was the bugaboo for the Braves? Again, they're starting pitching. They couldn't match Nolan Wheeler. Just couldn't do it. Strider pitched two solid games, lost them both because he gave up gave up home runs. And they had no answers for – I mean, granted, the, the Wheeler first game, they came back and won. But Wheeler pitched really well. He looked unhittable for six innings. And they – they, I don't call it a miracle comeback, but they had the big comeback with a wild play to end the game. So they did win that game that Wheeler started. But Wheeler and Nola have been – and they were the same way last year. They have been the best one-two punch so far in this postseason uh, of all the playoff teams. And when you've got that in a short series, whether it's two out of three, three out of five, or four out of seven, because remember, we've talked about so many times, especially with four to seven, you know, there, you can lose three games. Three out of five is, you know, when you lose a game in a three out of five series, you feel like death, okay? You feel like you're, you're up against it, unless you're up too well. When you lose a game, you know, in a three out of five series, you just feel like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. And obviously, in a best of three, if you lose the first one, of course. But um, the suddenness of it, I think, really got to everybody. And the lack of baseball, I think, caused problems for people because you've got the off days because of the sweeps. And then you've got the travel days because they want to stagger them and try and give you baseball every day. And by doing that, they have to create, you know, they, they give teams not even a travel day, just an off day. And you really don't want to see off days when they're not traveling. When teams aren't traveling, you want them playing day after day. But they want to try and give you games every day. So, you know, to do that, they create an off day while teams aren't traveling, et cetera. Um, that I'm not crazy about. But that's tough to get, and obviously, you know, TV rules. So they have to make sure that you know, they're not they're, you're not playing the games against each other, other than a slight overlap. Um, so it, it, it's a tricky situation, uh, but I do think the biggest thing you're going to see next year. I don't think you'll see any change in the format. I think you'll still see um, the three division winners and the three wild cards. But I do believe 100% that next year they will receive. And I wouldn't mind that. And I don't think a lot of baseball fans would. It's just a matter of if the probably most hated commissioner of the four major sports will decide to make that decision quickly or if it's something where this is going to happen a couple more times and the uproar will have to be loud enough to where he finally has to make a decision about it's, it. It's, it's not going to happen again. I don't think it's going to happen again. Because there's really a clamor for it and they've been considering it Um because baseball has never done it. And right. I think off of what's happened this postseason, I think it's absolutely going to happen. I think the demand is going to be too high. Um, and, and look, the other aspect of it is, you know, rest versus rust. The problem is, again, that even though they had the rest, they could not 
get their starting pitching in order because either they weren't healthy or they simply weren't good enough or you know, through lack of experience. You know, whether it was Baltimore with the lack of experience, you know, the young guys who just were awful. I mean, they, they were terrible in that first round. The Dodgers, obviously, when it got to them, Kershaw Baum, Miller, you know, awful, Lance Lynn, um, you know, who they picked up down the stretch, and Minnesota, Lopez, solid, but that was pretty much it. It's still all about the starting pitching in these short series. Who's starting pitching is the best? Houston. They're going to tie this series up 2-2. The two games they lost, two very good starts. Nathan Avaldi and obviously Jordan Montgomery. Philadelphia. The big two. And they lost today. Both pitchers pitched well. Um, it's still about the starting pitch. Bullpens are huge, but you got to get to them. Got to get to them. You don't win games going to the bullpen in the third inning, fourth inning. Win games now. You need your starter to get to not the seventh or eighth anymore, but you you start to get you to the sixth. You're in good shape. And reseeding, of course, to put a bow on that, keeps the underlying condition that winning your division is the most important thing you could do in major. You league have baseball. to maintain that. You have to maintain right. that. You must maintain that because you play 162 games. And we talked about it ad infinitum. You must reward the winner of the division. You must reward the division winner. How are you feeling then with where we stand? It's looking like a miracle would need to happen, but it's looking like the Houston and Rangers series will be tied 2-2, both teams winning so far on the road. The Phillies suffer their first loss on the road to Arizona in walk-off fashion. That's a 2-1 series. They took care of their business in front of their, shall we say, raucous crowd in Philadelphia, to say the least. Houston Phillies World Series? Can anybody take down these goddamn Astros? Because I was getting a little excited, and now they slapped me in the face and gave three and four. That was my pick once um once uh you know the, the brave series was uh was concluded I, I thought the braves would play better i thought they would have revenge on their minds after the phillies knocked them out last year and it just didn't happen they didn't hit they didn't hit. the phillies pitching was too phillies pitching shut them down again shut them down again but again i, I think it's about you know houston's got even though Framber Valdez has not been very good in the postseason, they've still got, if you count him, you know, the three big starters uh, with him and Christian Harbour has been very good in the postseason and obviously for Lander. Philly's got the big two. And you can even say, you know, with Evaldi and Jordan Montgomery, Texas has their big two. Max Scherzer did not make a big three, but I just can't wrap my arms around Houston losing. They just have too much experience, and I I love their, their bullpen. It is deep and solid. And even though Framer Valdez has not pitched that well, not pitched well at all, uh, I, I think with their deep offense and their experience and their bullpen, 
Because now that it's four out of seven, the bullpens are really important and you need to go deep. And they got a lot of arms out there. And, you know, when you club guys like they have these last two games, you get to rest portions of your bullpen, which they're doing tonight. So this fifth game with Verlander on the mound against Montgomery is going to be I'm, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I expect Philly to worst case scenario, go home um, up three, two. But I did pick them in five when the series started. So I would not be surprised if that series ended in Arizona. I'm rooting for Arizona to win a game. I would love to see it go back to I'd love to see at least go back to Philly. That would be six. Um, I, was, I was very happy they won today because I didn't want to see a sweep. We, we've seen enough sweeps already. We have. As a Yankees fan, there's a lot of bad tastes in one's mouth for, well, really all four teams at different points. In order of most hatred to least for teams you'd like to see win, it obviously starts and ends with the Astros. Then it would go down to the Phillies. And then it would probably be a coin flip between if you were alive to watch what happened in 2001 and still hold a grudge from that, even though these diamond packs have no idea what you're talking about. And the Texas Rangers, when they used to make postseason runs with Ron Washington getting oh so close, not once, but twice, those would be fine. I think it's really going to come down to Astros, Phillies, and then if you're a Yankees fan, you have to suck it up and pull for Philadelphia. And just remember that in 2009, things went differently, and it's okay. So it's not great. Yankee side of things, baseball side of things. I'm assuming though one should never, I'm assuming that baseball is rooting heartily for a Houston Philadelphia world series. I, I agree. I agree. All they have <laughs> to do, at least on the diamondback side was look around the ballpark today and see all of the fans that were dressed as either stadium seating or the seats that were purchased by Philly fans this apparently was a trend going around today, Al. They were buying tickets for like 30 to $35, whatever they were going at, just yeah. so Diamondbacks fans couldn't buy them. They weren't even going to the game. They just bought the seats, and they wanted it to be empty. What a move that is. Talk about postseason baseball. Yeah, I heard the numbers were plummeting. Not great. But as you said, they at least got one. And if it does come back to Philly, that would be exciting to watch. So we'll see. Let's just get some excitement, I guess, is what we're getting at as baseball fans. But to the people going crazy about what happened earlier in the postseason, easy. They'll hopefully fix one aspect of it. But this isn't the first rodeo for the quote-unquote best team in baseball to go cold at the wrong time. It happens. Look, it, 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 it's hard. It's, that's why, what as much as you obviously despise it, <clears throat> That's why what the Astros are doing is so remarkable. Every time someone does something now, Al, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but it seems like another postseason record gets broken for everything that's happening. Oh, Altuve, he's second in the home run list of all time in the postseason. Oh, Bregman did something? He just passed Reggie Jackson for this. Oh, that Jordan Alvarez did this? Well, now he's the undisputed home run king of everything. that's Every move they make because they don't, Sit home in October is a record. No, they don't. No, they don't. Jesus, the whole record built, books is going to be these bastards. Built by former Cardinal executive Jeff Luna from the ground up. And the Cardinals slowly but surely eroded after he left. 
everything we've read and heard, terrible work environment, toxic, bad guy, genius when it comes to building. Put a team together, though, couldn't he? When, yeah. when, it, came, when, it, came to, when it came to building from, you know, he dug the foundation in Houston. Remember, they tanked. He fired managers. Um, but he, after he left St. Louis, where he developed their analytics department and their international scouting department, he went to Houston. He drafted well. They scouted well. They signed players young uh, and slowly but surely. They built a modern-day, I'm going to use the preface of modern-day dynasty in terms of their success. What they're doing is incredibly difficult to do, and it's not like they play in a division where it's a hand ride home anymore. Seattle is really good now. Texas is really good this year. You know, it's not just Waltz to a division title. Um, they had battle this year. They had battle injuries. Uh, they've lost players to free agency. They brought Verlander back. <laughs> which was a great He's move. given the speech after they win the divisional series because he was there for so long, and he can. What is happening? It's a great speech, they, too, I have to admit. It was a good speech. And, and you know, when you watch them play, you have to admire the way they play. They play terrific baseball. They defend. They don't just hit home runs. They hit behind runners. They steal bases. They score runs with outs. They have starters. They have a big group of relievers that, you know, Dusty uses in various spots and big spots. They don't have a left-handed reliever. They don't care. Uh, they, their pitchers face everybody when it comes to the guys who come out of the bullpen. Uh, they've got young players. They've got veteran players. They've got a guy like Dubon, who's my son's favorite player who knocked around various, you know, uh, franchises and now plays center field and infield and is up for two gold gloves, one as an outfielder, and one as you util- as a second base. Because remember, he, he was playing second base when Altuve got hurt in the World Baseball Classic. So he's up for two gold gloves, one as a second base, and one as a utility. Uh, remember, Pena was the MVP last year in the postseason after he succeeded, uh, you know, the superstar free agent who left. So... They have done it every which way but loose. They bring in a Bray who had a terrible season for him. Uh, his first half was awful. He takes some time off finally uh, when his back's ailing him. When he comes back from the EL, IL, excuse me, he has a great last third of the season. He's had a great postseason. They just do it all kinds of different ways with contributors throughout their lineup. They play the kind of baseball you want. They don't strike out. They play the kind of baseball you want your team to play. You just hate that it's them. You hate that it's them. Should be a T-shirt that we can all wear around this time of year. We, that's we, what it's we, we, we've come up with a few of them. We've come up with a few of them. Enough Astros, thank goodness. To the National Football League, and a problem that has become too much for me in my viewership. Now, I am a little distracted and can have time to come up with problems because as a Denver Broncos fan, the season is over after six weeks. So you have more time as a fan. You've got, you've got nothing but time. There's nothing but time to watch the rest of the league, see how things are going, and not pay much attention to what's going on in Denver, whatever that may be. Are we tanking? Are we not? God help us all. This trend and theme for what, 
offenses are doing on Sundays and Thursdays, but those games have always been awful. They continue to remain. They're playing, at, they're, they're playing on Thursdays? Allegedly. <laughs> they're paying two guys to have to sit there and cover these games every week. They sign that dotted line. doesn't matter how bad a football it is. We'll take those paying paychecks, the, Amazon. They're paying those guys a fortune. Al Michaels just withering away watching these 13-7 battles. Poor Al. My goodness. You Question, had such uh, poor, a legendary I, I, career, I, I, man. What I, are we doing? I, I don't think poor Al was the right term for me to use. Oh, yeah. No, not poor <laughs> Al. Kirk Herbstreet's getting flown all over the world, going to these games, high school games for his kid, back to whatever they're playing in college so he could talk for 10 minutes and then leave again and announce another. Crazy. Wheels up. Wheels up. They love making those graphics. Graphics team's having a great time showing how he's moving around the country. This NFL season, as far as offensive go, these NFL teams and their offenses, and I can't stress it enough, stink. And it's a couple outliers, of course. The Miami Dolphins have been a chef's kiss to watch for the speed in which they're able to make things happen. Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. You never know what you're going to be able to see him do some weeks. Once in a while, Josh Allen remembers how to throw a spiral. That could be exciting. The Buffalo offense, once in a while. There's a couple outliers. But for the most part, this season has been a brutal watch. And there's stats going around to back some of these things up. Fewest touchdowns scored since 2010. The explosiveness, the percentage of that. Now, I don't know how you figure that out, but somebody does. Explosive plays. 2009, the lowest since. Explosive plays. The largest margin of victory since 2014. I think the stat from this past Sunday was nine football teams won football games without scoring more than 21 points. For those of you listening at home or at work, that's three touchdowns. That's the base for every game. You should be able to score at least three touchdowns. If your defense allows less than that and says to you, we would like for you to score three touchdowns, please, in 2023, you should be able to win that football game. We're seeing some of the most boring dismal, and then dumb decision-making to go along with it, either coach or player-wise. It's a slog on an NFL Sunday to get through some of these games. Now, you lived through some of these greatly defended times in NFL history where the scores were often very low, and there was times when the rules were not very beneficial to the offenses like they are now, and there's times where you don't have future Hall of Fame quarterbacks playing all around the league in the AFC and NFC. But we're looking at 17-13, Bills Giants, 2017-19-17. What are these years? 1917-1913. What the fuck are we doing? Score a touchdown. I can't understand it. And unfortunately, it was easy to see coming. 
because we all talked about it while we were watching it happen. Like, man, one of these days we're not going to have Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger constantly going to the AFC championship games. One of these days it'll all come crashing down. Hopefully the young guys can pick up the slack. Well, they haven't. And the coaching hasn't helped. What is happening to our National Football League is my question to you because I'm having trouble as an enjoy offense guy watching these shitstorms every Sunday and trying to be excited for a team to maybe score 24. Let's get an extra field goal. 19-8, the Chiefs beat the Broncos. Taylor Swift sat through that fucking game on a Thursday. Shaming her, the Broncos offense, and everyone else, obviously. Do you have an answer to my problem? Is it even a problem at all, and we should all just suck it up and enjoy the National Football League, as we always are one to do? Or are there some points where I don't know where the answers are? I don't know if it's people just drafting the wrong guys, if there's just not enough people that can play quarterback anymore, because it always usually stems down to that position. And, man, are there some bad ones out there. Let me know when you're done. That's probably about it. All right. You've watched football think, a long time, Al. I'm hoping you can say, like, well, this has happened many a time. Uh, look, obviously, it was much, I don't want to say easier to defend, but you were much more able to defend in the days of the old report because the rules were so much different. And the protection of the quarterback and the wide receivers was far less. And there were not nearly as many ticky-tack penalties as there are now. But I think there are a couple of things you have to point to when you think about it. And I am not enough of an X and O expert to tell you why teams can't score in the red zone running the football. Nobody can seem to score in the red zone running the football. They'll take the ball up and down the field, and including my Ravens who kicked six field goals last week, who run the ball notoriously well. But teams get inside the five-yard line, and they can't run the ball in the end. They, they can't. They could be a first and goal from the five, and they can't score on the ground. Most of the time, they don't even try to score on the ground. They'll run a play fake or a bootleg, and you know, they're in the shotgun. Well, if you're in the shotgun, you're, you're not at the three-yard line anymore. So you're going to hand the ball to the guy at the seven. I, I can't stand that, the way the offenses have changed. But no one seems to be able to run the football into the end zone when they drive into the red zone. They have, teams have great difficulty scoring inside the 10, where it's crowded, where it's tough to find room to run your routes, squeeze a ball. I think you don't have a lot of those receivers who – in the past, we have seen make those contested catches in the end zone where you could throw that fade route up for grabs and your guy would come down with it. I also think when you talked about the quarterback play, I do think some of it has to do with the fact that as much as we rave about the quarterbacks and talk about all these wonderful young quarterbacks, they're all young quarterbacks and in my day young quarterbacks were given time to mature if they played early 
their team stunk. And this was our guy. We're going to stink for a while. Remember Peyton Manning when they were, what, 2-14, and 3-13, and 13, and he was awful? Remember his brother when he was awful? Right? It, they don't allow that anymore. You know, two years, and you got to get him out of the league. You know, nobody sits for a year and watches. There is no time to mature. There is no patience. Let's recycle him and go to the next guy. Like they're already talking about with Kyler Murray. And I'm not saying that's wrong with Kyler Murray. Because I don't know if you're going to be able to win with Kyler Murray. Because I always thought he was too small. And can you win with the Cardinals in any event? You know, are they just going to try and show everybody he's healthy, not playing to trade him? This year, next, and then go with Caleb Williams Bowl for the next quarterback. But it's just, you know, you didn't used to see, if memory serves me correct, teams were not drafting a quarterback in the first round every other year. They were investing four and five years in a guy. And the first couple of years were for him to watch and get ready and get to know the offense and eventually get reps and take the job and hit the ground running. Now you're thrown into the fire. And you know, if you make mistakes and don't have this great progress, you know, and are still struggling. At times, like a Justin Fields or Zach, Zach, you're a bust. You're a bust. Why we draft this guy? Now, also remember that back then, quarterbacks weren't constantly taken. You know, with the first four picks of the first round, or three of the first five picks were quarterbacks every year. And it wasn't the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. There were veteran quarterbacks around the league who could play. There were backups who could play. There were backups who would get traded and get starting jobs because they could play. You just don't have that anymore. Granted, there's more teams. And you would think the position would have evolved. And and look, you see these guys, how athletic they are and how well they can throw and the strength of their arms and their mobility. I like Justin Herbert, you you think is, is a god. But Justin Herbert was, uh, I'm not going to say he was horrible, but he was mediocre at best against the Cowboys. Do I think he's coached well? No, I think the coach is a buffoon. But that's neither here nor there. You know, they, they, they've, they've got the fancy new offensive coordinator, but I just don't like the way offenses are run. I know I'm old school, I'm not three yards in a cloud of dust. But I don't like running you know, running your offense, you know, out of the shotgun from the three yard line or the two yard line. Uh, I like the quarterback under center. I like two backs once in a while. I like play fakes. I like screens. I like end arounds. Uh, part of it is the defense and playing five, six defensive backs. Um, but it, it it just seems like the schemes. Uh, don't have any ability to adjust to do what's necessary to put the ball in the end zone. When you drive down, I don't want to say relatively easily, but you'll see teams move down the field smoothly, succinctly, and looking like they're in all eight cylinders. And then they get to the 20, 15, 12, they stall. 
you know, the play, you, you look at the play, you're wondering, well, well why'd you call that in that spot? You know, what are you thinking there? They can't get a third and one. They can't get a fourth and an inch, you know, except for the, the Eagles sneaking all the time. Um, and you, you saw John Harbaugh this past Sunday, you know, across the pond. Mr. Analytics always goes for fourth and one. He kicked two field goals on fourth and one, one of them at the one yard line. Points, points, get them. You know, the Chiefs aren't scoring 35 again. Let's play the Bears. You got to get points when you can get them. Points are hard to get. Defenses are getting bigger, faster, and I think that also has a lot to do with it. Um, the defenses, the way they're being deployed, these linebackers are faster than ever. Guys are flying to the ball. Um, I think it's getting harder and harder in the confined space once you get in that red zone because of the speed of the defenses uh, to find enough space and get enough separation to score touchdowns. And I think that really takes away from what you were talking about. Uh, as for the explosive play scenario, I don't think this group, so to speak, of receivers in the NFL uh, are that strong. I think it's a middling group. You've seen some guys, you know, like Hopkins, who's clearly aged and not what he was. You know, Julio Jones, uh, you know, just signed a, you know, just was picked up, but you know, he's he's far from what he was. Uh, I, I don't think you have a great group of wide receivers. Odell Beckham obviously is aging. He's off to a mediocre start you know, with the Ravens. You see a lot of drop passes. Um, obviously, you got Justin Jefferson. You know, you've got uh, you got the speedster in Miami and his partner. You know, in Waddle, you got Jamar Chase, who's terrific. But there isn't, I think a great, great group of wide receivers league-wide. You've got some injuries. Uh, you've got a, a lot of coaching decisions that are questionable. You know, when you're throwing the ball, where you're throwing the ball, who you're throwing it to. Uh, you see a lot of drop passes, Tim. You see a lot of magnificent catches. You know, the toe taps, the incredible plays, but you see a lot of routine drop balls. Um, you never used to see drop balls when, and again, were we watching every play? No. But in my day, and I'm not saying it was better, I'm not saying in the good old days, you know, Nick Wright, Nick Wright old, 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 old folks, they'd be lying. Sorry, Nick, that ain't the case. You just didn't see a lot of drop passes by the wide receivers, maybe by the tight ends. But the wide receivers, and it seemed like every every team had a great wide receiver. It seemed like every really good team had a great wide receiver and another really good one. Even if they were a great team, just if they were a good team, they had two really good wide receivers. When the Ravens, Ravens are a really good team. Do they have two really good wide receivers? Zay Flowers looks like he's going to be a really good player. But right now, they don't have two really good wide receivers. They're lucky they have one really good wide receiver. If you want to call Zay Flowers that. 
you know, Bateman's been a bust, huge disappointment. Aguilar at times is good, but drops balls. Beckham's been hurt. And I'm just saying that because you know, the Ravens, uh, they've got really good personnel. They're, they're a really good team. They've got, and I say this subjectively, but they've got one of the top defenses, if not the top defense in the National Football League. You're talking one about San Francisco, but the Ravens' defense is, is, is terrific. You don't have the kind of running backs with any kind of longevity that you used to have that you could depend upon could get the ball into the end zone once you got inside the five-yard line. They were touchdown makers. Now they're they're go, you know going in 60 seconds. Derrick Henry's a forgotten man all of a sudden. You know, he's, he's, his snaps are way down this year. Saquon Barkley, great year last year, averaging 3.9 yards a carry. Dallas paid their guy a fortune. He's gone. It's gone. They're a dime a dozen now because the, the, the emphasis on the running game is gone, which I can't stand. Bills can't run the football. That's why they can't get to a Super Bowl. Can't run. You got to be able to run the football, control the clock. I know it sounds old school, but you can't just play you know, seven on seven. You can't just play arena football. The end of the game and Jaguars beat the Saints 31-24. Scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter to retake the lead after New Orleans tied it in the fourth quarter. Derek Carr finally woke up from his vampire sleep. 31-24, Saints get the ball. They're trying to tie the game. So you're telling me after 24-9 in the pick six, they got a touchdown, a touchdown, a two-point conversion to tie the game? Yeah. Woke up. Wow. Wow. Very much so woke up. Quick touchdown, too. 51 seconds to tie the game. Okay. So we're going down the field, slowly but surely, all three so timeouts. Ja- ja- so Jags come back and take the lead. Yeah, they take the lead on two plays. <laughs> uh, Trevor Lawrence pass for Travis Etienne that went for two yards, and then a – Trevor Lawrence pass to Mr. Kirk for 44 yards and a touchdown. So great momentum kept after the touchdown by the saints, Jacksonville then had to punt and the saints took all the momentum back by going three and out and gaining six total yards in 45 seconds, had to punt it back, gave up a touchdown in two plays. We're trying to tie the game. Okay. Two minute warning happens. Now we're going down the field. We end up third and two at the 10. There's a minute and six left. We're going no huddle, save the timeouts. Also try to use some clock close enough to where you'd think, let's just score and not give them very much time. So they end up first and goal at the six with 40 seconds left. Still not calling a timeout. We're running up to the line. Incomplete pass. So they convert the third and two. Converted the third and two. They handed it to Kamara. He ran for four yards. Remember that, handing it to Kamara. So first and goal at the six, you don't call a timeout. You don't hand the football off. Kamara has been his legendary self to this point. 62 rushing yards and 91 receiving yards. Vintage Kamara, finally. Michael Thomas made an appearance tonight, too, finally. Looked like a 
one Drew Brees was back there throwing for a second there. So you don't want to run it on first and goal at the six with 40 seconds left. Okay. Incomplete pass. Second and six. Incomplete pass. Well, well, I, thought you said, I thought you said Kamara to get down to the two yard line. No, he, this was uh, the third and two. He converted it, a four yard run to get them gotcha. to the six. Okay. So why don't you take a timeout there? Why don't you take a timeout there? They do not. Pass goes incomplete on first down, second down. Pass goes incomplete. This one to Taysom Hill. Car's getting hit. He's a little shaken up. They call a timeout now. There's 30 seconds left. We're still at the six. 30 seconds left. Third and six. Forrest Morrow, M-O-R-E-A-O. My French isn't very good. Wide open on this play that they called. Wasn't the most perfect of thrown balls. Hits him right in the hands. Drops it. Drops it. Now we're at fourth and six. They try running a stupid fade to Olave. The pass was right to the defender who just fell down and knocked it down. The game's over. Now you should win catching the wide open pass, and that would send you into overtime. Where I'm scratching my head is where's one try of running the football with Kamara or just getting him the ball at all from six yards away for after what he's done for you to this point. Why aren't you calling a timeout? Number two, where's the timeouts to just take a breath? What? What's see happening? what you're doing. I understand the defense is tired. You're running, hurry up. I get it, but it's important. Now we have to score. There's no questions. Let's make sure we at least do that. Forget about the time you leave them. You have to score. The game is over. Run the ball on first down and call timeouts. Yeah. Nope. Ran up to the line. Quick. Incomplete. Okay. Maybe we'll run it here now that there's a little break in the action. Clock is stopped. No. Now, again, catch that pass. We're going in overtime. Also, don't play like garbage for the first half and only score six total points. And, oh, I'm sorry, nine total points through three quarters, all three on field goals. Run the ball on first down. Now, did who brought them back? So Derek, I did bring him back. He did not the hideous back. one. Not, not the hideous one. Jameis? The, the, the all-purpose quarterback. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no. Taysom Hill, I think, had a touchdown reception. What helped them was throwing an interception for a touchdown. The Jaguars, this was, was helped. They returned an interception for a touchdown earlier in the game. That made it 24-9. But it was Derek Carr that was making the majority of the passes. I think Taysom Hill did one of his run it in for a touchdown deals, but yeah, of he, course. he had got them close enough to have that happen. He's got to run it. He's got to run one in. The, That's the most we've ever, I think, talked about a Thursday night football game. And this one finally has hit the over. That's definitely the first time it's happened this season on a Thursday night game. 31-24. Respectable. And we were headed for trouble after a, they scored a, nine points through three quarters. That's Jeez. a big win. That's a big win for my Jaguar overplay to get to five and two. How folks, at least for this season, and I don't have a dog in the fight on the college side of things. I work for a college channel, Big 12 Radio, Sirius XM Channel 375, Channel 12. But growing up where we are in the Northeast, now in New York, college football is either the elderly, the baby boomers, your guys' generation. It was Penn State or Notre Dame on TV. There's no huge college football teams around here. You want to say Rutgers? 
they have a football program. <laughs> I would Cuse say that pretty, Cuse was pretty for good excited. for a while. Syracuse has, has had its ups Cuse and downs. Had some good years. But there's Mostly no there's no SEC no, no, country no, feel no. up here. You no, either pick a close. team or you no. go with Penn State or you went with Notre Dame because they were the only game on yep. TV on NBC every week. Yep. But even yep. still, not having that blood rush through your veins for an SEC or ACC or down south type of football fandom or Big Ten up in the northern part of the country in the cold. I don't know how you would pick watching NFL games over what's happening in college this season specifically. I would argue it overall. I think it's more entertaining to watch college football. The talent obviously isn't as great as it is in the National Football League up and down and across the board, but sometimes just because the talent's not there, the game will still entertain. These coaches come up with zany things. Once in a while, they'll throw it to some dude they found on the street in the parking lot of the school selling stuff for whatever club he's part of. Hey, you're tall. You want to play third string tight end for us? We've got to fill a slot. We'll throw it to you one of these games. I mean, if you weren't entertained by what Air Oregon and Washington did this past Great Saturday, Great just a phenomenal football game. Great and game. it comes right down to the wire, and there's talking points galore afterward. Michael Penix, Heisman races. Should Dan Lanning always go for it like he's doing on fourth downs? And no, the risks for no, that. No, it was great no, theater. No. The no, fans rushed no. the field. Is Michael Penix a Heisman Trophy winner? No. Should Dan Lanning go for fourth down every day? No. <laughs> Should Dan Lanning have gone for fourth and one or fourth and two or whatever it was, fourth and three after his defense had just had an incredible goal line stand instead of punting and pitting? No. 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 So the discussions afterwards, weren't long for that he, game, but we're had. <laughs> afterwards, he said he cost his team the game. Did. Of course you did, Dan. Did. Of course you did. Take points. And, and most of all, when your defense is playing phenomenal, phenomenal, they were completely shutting Washington down. Pin them back. Make them go the length of the field. Again, well, if we convert this, we win. But if you don't, you so vastly increase your chances of losing, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And college football is very exciting this year. Because we really, even though Georgia's still number one and still undefeated, they're not the Georgia of the last couple of years. Down their tight end for potentially the rest of the regular part of the season, too. Probably, probably, which I hated to see because he's a fabulous player. And this will probably be his last college season. Um, But Michigan may be as good as Georgia this year. J.J. McCarthy now has all the experience of playing his second full regular season. And they are loaded. The winner of the Michigan-Ohio State-Penn State grouping may actually, I don't think it'll be Penn State, but I think the winner will challenge for a national title. I think Ohio State, Ohio State is getting better. I don't love the quarterback, but he's getting better. They stole the Notre Dame game. They got incredibly lucky. You got to find, you got you to have one like that. Absolutely. You know, if, if you're not the juggernaut. 
Georgia doesn't need one like that, obviously. They're Georgia. We see that about Alabama. Well, they're Georgia. Now, I'm not saying Georgia's going to lose. But they're not, I don't think, clearly as good as the past couple of years. They're still really good. And there now the team is going to find a way. The same way for years Alabama was going to find a way. Georgia's now going to find a way. They've, they've legitimately supplanted Alabama. They're going for the third national title in a row. They're the best team in the SEC. This is not a great SEC. Another thing we have to keep in mind. This is, you want to say it's the best conference in the country? Okay. But there is no other national title contender in the SEC. If you tell me there is, my question is who? Nobody's going to come up with an answer for it because there's not. Yeah, there are three national contenders. There are three national contenders, 10 national title contenders in the Big Ten. Yep. I don't believe in Penn State, but right now they're a national title contender. This is a good week as far as show us something for the casual fans. We're going to get a ton of great ranked games and Penn State and Ohio State, certainly one of them, kicking things off at noon. Penn State's real first big opponent. Ohio State, as you mentioned, already has Notre Dame under its belt. But then there's also Tennessee and at Alabama. Don't even count us. There's also Michigan, Michigan State. Tennessee's mediocre. Michigan will destroy Michigan State. Duke and Florida State would have been a lot better if Riley Leonard was full strength for Duke. And Utah is going to USC. 14 playing in 18. That might be the most intriguing game to see if USC can bounce back from the stinker they had at Notre Dame, really from the opening kick yes. in which Superman, uh, you know, well, well, he was playing the mean green, so no coincidence. There was kryptonite Notre Dame Stadium, and uh, it brought Caleb Williams to his knees. Man. He was awful. The offensive line was abysmal. He was running for his life the entire game, but he made some terrible decisions and awful throws. Uh, but they just looked like a – they looked like they were playing against the Notre Dame defense that was held for a jailbreak. I mean, they looked like they were rushing 14 guys sometimes. Conversely, in the National <laughs> Football League, I will give you the Sunday night game upcoming, Dolphins and Eagles. Both teams but, suffered their first losses. That's going to be thrilling to watch those offenses play. Ravens, Lions at one o'clock. I will give you Ravens, Lions too. That'll and be and the Sunday night game. Those are the those are the two uh, those are the two top end games. You know, we'll see what. I'm not saying the Lions aren't really good. I think they are really good, but we'll see how this offense plays outside. Um, yeah. In not the best of elements against a really good defense, and we'll see how the Raven defense plays against a really good offense. So it'll be a good test on both sides of the ball uh, where these two teams excel. And how well does Detroit, who has struggled with mobile quarterbacks, see Justin Fields and others, uh, handle Lamar Jackson? Are the Ravens able to put the ball in the end zone? Are their receivers able to hang out on the football? Are the Ravens able to play two good halves instead of a great half and then get sloppy and fall asleep? Which has been 
uh, their modus operandi. Uh, I'm still curious to see if the Ravens make a trade. Uh, I am all for trading a, a third round pick for Saquon Barkley, even if it's just a rental. I think he would be the missing link to the Ravens. I think they desperately need a big time running back. If they had a big time running back, I, I think they would be a legitimate Super Bowl, not favorite, but legit Super Bowl contender. Legit Super Bowl contender. You imagine Saquon Barkley in that backfield, you know, as, as a threat with Lamar Jackson? I'd be excited. Ravens running backs do their best. Yeah. But you watch the Ravens run the ball sometimes, and even a dope like me sees openings that I presume a great running back might see that the running backs they have don't see. Or in space, you know, 12 yards could be 40 yards. As we said before, the one thing we know about the National Football League for sure is what we don't know. Because after this week, with the Eagles losing, being knocked from the ranks of undefeated when you know, their MVB quarterback looked nothing remotely resembling that against the Jets. And they basically gave the game away. And when San Francisco and you know, the greatest team since sliced bread with, you know, Purdy mania goes into Cleveland and loses to a, th- say it with me, third string quarterback, <laughs> a third string quarterback from, oh yeah, Temple, third string quarterback. Is there a is there a great team? No. no, no, no. A great team doesn't go in and lose to a third string quarterback. Period. Maybe a backup. Maybe and yes, they lost Christian McCaffrey, and yes, they lost Samuel. The Miami Dolphins went undefeated in 1972 without their starting quarterback for three quarters of the season. Three quarters of the season Bob Greasy was out for when Earl Earl Morrill took over until Greasy came back. I want you to to just let that sink in. They went 14-0 without their starting quarterback, who was eventually a Hall of Famer, for three quarters of the season. It's crazy. That's a great team. No, I thought the Niners, the way they got off, looked like they had a chance to go 14-2, and be a terrific team. But you know what happens to the National Football League? Christian McCaffrey, who was injury-prone, banged up. Will he be back this week? Maybe. But how effective will he be? Samuel's got a shoulder. How effective will he be? How effective will Brock Purdy be without those weapons? Purdy mania. Can we put down the pom-poms? Everybody. Gets off to when you you, these. It doesn't matter, you know. Everybody is the next great thing. Instant gratification. Nobody can stand back and wait. You can't. You can't be patient. You can't even let half a season come to pass before you anoint a guy. Just can't do it. Don't have the coach's son, the genius, lost to a third string quarterback a third string quarterback couldn't score three touchdowns that's all he asked when you didn't even need that kicker, he just got the 20 kicker missed a 41 yard played for a field goal suffered the result from it Oregon the same way when we were talking about 
that game. For as aggressive as Dan Lanning was, you could tell he was okay kicking a field goal at the end of the game. Not aggressive in that final drive. Never put it in the hands of your kicker if you can avoid it. There's a difference between settling for a field goal and playing for a field goal. Sometimes you have to settle because it didn't work. But if you're trying to get one, it's going to bite you sometimes. And we saw that happen in two of the games people were watching. But it's another week where Saturday trumps Sunday. The two games we mentioned, surely. But Bill's Patriots doesn't have any juice. Commander's Giants doesn't have any juice anymore. The Patriots and the Giants are unwatchable. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. Unwatchable. How can you possibly sit down and watch the New England Patriots play football game? You just have to get it from. You have to get up and walk away. Yeah. You have to get up and wonder what am I watching? How can it possibly be? How can they be this bad? That offense is from hunger. And for those who think he's going to hang around long enough to pass Don Shula, how is he going to win 40 games? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 40 games. That's 10 games for four more seasons. 71 he's lucky years old. He's, he's lucky he's going to win 10 more games. <laughs> They're awful. They have no weapons. None. The quarterback is the ultimate game manager. That's what he is. He has nothing to manage. The offensive line is terrible. He may be a great coach. He is an awful general manager. Yeah, he needs to fire himself from that. Kraft needs to finally say, all right, man. Maybe we'll it's, bring somebody it, in it, to, to help it, fix this. No, it, it, it may just be time, period. Yeah. It may be time to go. I, th- I, th- I think it's time to go. Some brutal watches on Sundays. And it's been way too consistent from way too many teams. So you're going to get a gaggle of excitement on your Saturday. College football <laughs> is here to save the day. This year, but in general, at least I think that. And if you're not excited a, by the matchups that are going to happen now, you can watch a, Minnesota, Iowa, and see if they could break a total of 31 points. Because not many NFL teams could say that happened this past Sunday. <laughs> and that's one of the lowest over-unders you'll ever see in college football. 31. And it may it's drop. A more, it's a more enjoyable sport when teams can run the football. Yeah. Because when teams can run the football, that allows you to create space down the field when they have to. First of all, you have to try to run the football. If you try to run the football and you can do it successfully, you can create space down the field and openings to score in the red zone. You don't need a star to throw it either. Just get it there. Could look as ugly as you want. We've seen some... Some pretty interesting forms in throwing said football over the years. As long as you get it there, no problem. They'll catch it. 
college football this year, folks. Don't waste your time on the National Football League. Check back in in a handful of weeks. Better teams will have themselves separated. Divisions may as well be decided by week 12. Way things are going in some of them. It's college football's year. Because once this year's over, realignment starts happening. It's going to take you just till this point in the season to figure out who's playing where. Enjoy it, folks. I'll have enough trouble figuring out who's in more conference. Yeah, that's what I mean. Who's playing where. It's going to be something that we need a, a reference guide for. A study book, cheat book they used to give for the video games. Instructional booklet, a manual. Somebody has to put one together for the next couple of years between the college football playoff expanding to 12 and teams moving all across the country to God knows where help us out. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Same old story, my friend. Always great being with you folks from my partner, the great John tiny London. I am Al Renato, AKA Alpha one planes have a great sports weekend. Everybody. We'll be back 8 PM Eastern time here on sports radio America. You can listen at sports radio and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the tune in app by searching for sports radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>